God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 16. We are wrapping up the book of Mark this morning. But I have to talk about something today that may, that may challenge some of you. You know, I don't know if you realize this, Paul didn't write the King James Version of the Bible. I don't know if you realize that or not. He did not write the King Despite some people's belief, Paul did not use the King James Version of the Bible because it did not exist at that time. He wrote in Greek. Moses wrote in Hebrew. Those two languages compile most of the language that the Bible was written in in its original manuscripts. And over time, the manual copying of those Greek and Hebrew manuscripts grew some errors, grew some errors that were wrong. I don't know if any of you remember the old Xerox commercial. When Xerox machines first came out, one of their commercials was about scribes that were copying old ancient manuscripts in some monastery somewhere and they discovered the xerox machine where they could go and just put it on the machine and it would photocopy and 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 that's not the way our bible got to us our bible was handwritten for centuries up until the printing press was was created it was handwritten for centuries by copyists a guy would stand at a podium like this read the text and a bunch of guys out there with parchment and pen would write exactly what was said whether it was Hebrew or Greek. Well, all our language translations since then, from Latin to English, they got to submit to the original languages. You lose something when you translate sometimes. You lose some depth of meaning. Sometimes you lose uh, exactly what's being written there. But all of them that we have have to submit to the original languages. So, next slide, Marsha. I want to talk about our manuscript, our Bible. This is an example of all the ancient writings and texts that we have copies of. Things that are, as you can see, written in 900 B.C., back about King David's time, almost. You know, all these things have been written. That's the, that's the first column. Homer's Iliad, Plato, Aristotle, etc., down to the New Testament. The earliest copy available, 400 B.C. That's 500 years after it was written, we have a copy of that's, that's 500 years of what happened in those 500 years. And you can see that whole thing. I'm not going to go through every line. But you get down to the New Testament. It was written sometime in the, from AD 50 to AD 100. And it's probably even a tighter window than that. That was when it was first originally written. Today we have portions from AD 100 to 150. We have entire books from AD 150 to 200. We have the entire New Testament around AD 300. So there's about 29 to 100 years from when it actually was written the first time to when we actually have a copy, which is a good thing. You know the story. The longer a story sits and isn't told before it's repeated, how many errors get introduced into it. So our Bible is very, very reliable. Very reliable. And the accuracy of the Bible is greater because when you look in the last column, you see how many manuscripts that's mss means manuscripts that we have of the bible we have 5838 compared to maybe a little bit short of 1800 for homer's iliad 18000 early greek translations 42000 old testament scrolls and codices 
of the Bible. We have a lot of documentation. And so we have a reliable source for our information. But all these manuscripts, over time, can contain some error. Some kind of addition or some kind of editor note that, that a scribe might have thought he needed to add. But God's truth is affected very little. Matter of fact, none to, to the most part. The truth that we need to know about. It's, it's affected very little about this. And, and Mark 16, verses 9 through 20, are just that kind of information that was added. It was added. It's like John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, about the woman caught in adultery. That is an um, a 800 or 900 A.D. edition that was put in there, infused in there. Most of us, our Bibles now have footnotes and little markers to tell us that this is not in the earliest manuscripts. And I'm going to explain more about that in a minute. But we, most Bibles have kept this because it's in, it's in a lot of manuscripts. It's just not in the earliest ones. So let me read this account, and we'll begin kind of breaking it down a little bit and talking about why it's in there. Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking there on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest, who did not believe them either. Later, <clears throat> he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons, and they will speak in new tongues, and they will pick up snakes. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the accompanying signs. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, we're going to talk about why it's not accurate. But at verse 8, Mark ended his gospel. And that's what we believe happened. Mark ended his gospel story exactly how he was led to finish it by the Holy Spirit. But a person with good intentions... And I'm not, I'm not slanting him at all. A person with very good intentions but misguided ideas added to it and added this ending because he thought it needed something else. So this morning I want to get at the fact that God's word was, writ word was written by men guided by the Holy Spirit to give us exactly what we need. Not what we may think we need. So what can we learn about God's word from this erroneous epilogue that someone has added to the book of Mark. Well, we can accept two truths from this. First of all, we can accept the fact that man can't improve God's word. We can't make it better. Yes, we've translated into varying English translations so it's easier to read, it's easier to understand for people, but we really aren't making the word of God better because the word of God is still the word of God and you have to believe this, not just be able to read it well. You have to believe it. And also, the second thing we can learn is we can trust it. We can trust God's word as it is. First of all, I want to talk about the mistakes made by men 
who added this passage. I'm going to ask some questions about this erroneous epilogue, and, and we'll kind of talk about it. I'm not going to reread the passage, but how do we know that this is not a God-inspired part of the original manuscript of Mark? How do we know that? Well, there's a lot more reasons than I'm going to give you, but I'm going to give you six. First of all, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts do not have it in there. So manuscripts all the way up to the middle, at least the middle of the second century A.D., 150 A.D., don't have this in there. It do, it's, not, it's not even in there. It, they all end with the phrase, for they were afraid, which is ver, the end of verse 8. This did not appear until the late 2nd century A.D. Now, there are several, manu, there are several I mean, many manuscripts from the, that point forward that has it. I mean, a lot of manuscripts have it. Because once it was written down, it was accepted as part of the gospel. But there are many manuscripts that were discovered later before that were written before 150 A.D. that don't have it. And they're considered the more reliable ones because they're closer to when the events happen. And so that means that when this addition got added early on in the duplication process and, and what I was talking about where they are all manually copying it, it got added really early and that's why we have it now because people kept copying it. Some guy kept standing there and reading it because of the copy he had in front of him. So that's why we have it. The second reason it is not inspired is that the Greek vocabulary and style in this, pass, in this section of verses doesn't match Mark's style and Greek at all. He, there's words in here that aren't used anywhere else in the New Testament. Now, they're Greek words, they're valid words, but they're not used anywhere else in the New Testament. They're used in other Greek documents, but they're not used in the New Testament. It's kind of like if you took an old King James Version the old King James Version, and you try to put it with a New International Version verse, you try to read those together in some sort of connection, it would sound really like bad. It just wouldn't be congruent. So the, the vocabulary and the style is different. Third, he talks about Mary Magdalene there in verse 9 and gives us her backstory, but he's already mentioned her two or three times in his original text. Why would he wait all the way to there to tell us, oh, by the way, he had seven, she had seven demons cast out of her? So it's a little uncharacteristic of a way an author would write about a new character. So it's treating it almost as if the people didn't know who Mary Magdalene was. That's the third reason. The fourth one, there's a pronoun. I'm going to get a little English class on you here, okay, so don't go crazy. But there's a pronoun in the whole text, he, H-E, he. It does not have an antecedent, which is the person it refers back to. It's, it's not referring back into to, uh, chapter 16 or the, the first eight verses because the last thing that those first eight verses talk about is the women, not a he. Not a he by any stretch of the imagination, despite what people tell you today. Jesus is who they're talk he's talking about, but Jesus' name is never mentioned here and tied to that pronoun. So there's your little English class for today. Your, your pronouns have to have antecedents. And the fifth reason is that there are some events here that he talks about kind of out of order, kind of misrepresented. And also that they have the wrong results. The wrong results come about. That he, For example, he talks about two men who saw him in a different form 
This is the, the reference to Luke 24 where the two guys on the road to Emmaus met Jesus. But what's funny is when he says they told the disciples, they didn't believe him. But that's not true if you go to look at Luke 24. They, they accepted the words and then they told him, oh, by the way, Simon, he's appeared to Simon as well. So there's some misrepresentation there. His, his, his description of how Jesus rebukes the disciples for not believing, he uses one of the harshest words ever could be used, and it's not used in many other places by Jesus, at least. So there's a lot of misrepresentation. Um, the sixth reason is that he gives some details that are actually in the book of Acts. Now, when Mark was written, the book of Acts had not been written. So it can't be part of the original manuscript because Mark did not have that information. But this guy has read the book of Acts, whoever added this. He's read the book of Acts, and so he's adding some synopsis of what went on after Jesus ascended. Now, why do we have this passage? Why do we have this passage? Well, the copyist in the late second century AD assumed Mark's gospel was missing something. It assumed that Mark's gospel was incomplete. I don't know why he assumed it, but he did. Now, I told you last week that I thought a page was missing. I was wrong. I misunderstood what the, what the commentary said. Back when Mark wrote this, he did not use pages. He used a scroll. And so a scroll can't be missing a page. So I'm correcting myself. Uh, that's my disclaimer. It was my mistake. But this, this copyist, whatever he was writing on, decided to scribble, to add in a compiled versions of other things he had read. That's, that's why we have it this day, these days. And this, so then, therefore, the next copyist that got his copy did the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. So it kind of just went on and on and on. And all of them kind of saw it as a legitimate ending because they knew what he was talking about. When he said he, they knew Jesus. When he said Mary Magdalene, they go, oh, yeah, of course. So they had, uh, they had already done now. The, the earliest copies, though, were found, and they did not have it. And that's kind of when we begin to notice the discrepancy. And it was, and it was noted, in, and it's been noted in, in Scripture for a long time. Even in the King James Version, um, it, it was noted. Not the very original one, I don't think. But um, Now, what is not helpful about this passage? <laughs> what is not helpful in this passage? Well, it misrepresents the disciples' unbelief. Yes, they had struggles with Jesus being risen from the dead. We know that. But it kind of misrepresents how bad it was. Um, it presents Jesus as angry about their unbelief. Really, really angry. But he wasn't really angry. He was just asking them questions like, what does it take to believe, Thomas? You got to stick your fingers in my side? You know, those kind of things. But he wasn't angry about it. But the worst thing that happens, it's used to create some false doctrines and some false practices. One of those being snakes and poison, okay? God does use signs to confirm the words of his testimony, the gospel. We see that in the book of Acts. All through the book of Acts, there are signs, healing, demon exercising, all kinds of things. Paul gets bit by a snake, but it doesn't tell him to pick up a snake or drink poison. Matter of fact, Paul writes, don't test the Holy Spirit. Don't test God. But I have seen a lot in Appalachia and a lot of other places of people thinking that this is a practice we should do, playing with snakes, tempting God. It's damaged people's faith. It's damaged people's understanding of the Bible. 
It's damaged their trust in the authenticity of this word. Now, what is right about it? Well, it, it does give a summation of kind of things that went on after the resurrection. Um, it's, it's a summation. It's not really clear exactly what and who, but um, miracles do happen and the gospel does go forth. And he puts a great commission in here because the other three gospels have a great commission in some form. So men make mistakes. They will always make mistakes when they're trying to do something on their own. And this was an honest attempt, I think, by some copyists to complete God's story and encourage believers. But he made a mistake. And we must realize that God's word, written by the original authors, that is the inerrant word of God that we believe in, we trust in, we hold to. So we need to never, ever let the scribbles and the notes and the extra edits that people have put in weaken or halt our faith. They shouldn't do that. The Bible, you take all of these edits, they, we put them in these English translations, but you take them all out and the Bible still stands on the truth of Jesus Christ and his salvation. So we don't need to let it stammer us or halt us. God's word stands even when men try to mess with it. And there's a lot of people messing with God's word nowadays, so you need to know it. There's, like I showed you, there's an enormous number of manuscripts. And that in itself helps protect God's word from error. That's how come we found out that this was added after the fact. I don't know if you remember a few months ago, there were some eco-terrorists that uh, went into, uh, I think it was the Louvre or one of the famous art museums in Europe and tossed mashed potatoes on a, on a Monet painting. I don't know if you remember that or not. Well, do you know what happened to that painting? Nothing. Because they put a film over the, the original paintings. They put a little, little plastic film. You can't even tell it's there. And they just peel off that, that film, and the painting is still fine. The mashed potatoes didn't do anything to it. And that's what God does to his word. He has protected it. He has given us the knowledge that we need to know to be able to trust his word. We can rely on it, even with these edits. Because these never take away from the truth of Scripture, which is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1. The Word is Jesus. And in Hebrews 1, the writer says, Long ago, prophets told and, and wrote, but now God speaks to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Humans make mistakes every day with the Word of God. I see it a lot. Misinterpretations, misrepresentations. They're trying to, to twist it in a certain way to get some idea out of it. Why? Why do they make these mistakes? Because they have an incomplete knowledge of God's Word. They have an incomplete knowledge of, of what it leads to, the many problems it creates. You know, many of us study our hobbies real feverishly. We, we know a lot of things about our hobbies. And, and I, you know, I know a lot of things about things that I like, our jobs, our skills. Why don't we know that much about the Bible? Why don't we spend that kind of time knowing the book that we claim to base our eternity on? Why don't we know it that, as well as we know those things? We need to spend time. We must be, we must be students of the Bible. We must read it over and over. 
It's not like a novel. It's not like a novel that you read once and you know the ending and you're not interested in reading it again. I know I've read some two or three times. Every time I read God's Word and I read the whole thing through, I get a little different message somewhere than I got before. It just tells me something else I didn't hear the last time I read it. Read it over and over regularly, yearly if possible. I know that scares some of you, but think about it, try it. And if you get behind, don't worry about it. Just keep reading. If you can only read one chapter a day, read one chapter a day. Take as long as you need to get through it. But read your Bible. Explore it by looking up the words in Bible dictionaries and commentaries. Find some good authors who talk about the Bible that you can trust. If you don't know any, come talk to me. i got a list of people I trust. We need to remain faithful learners of God's truths. That's how we keep these errors from creeping in. The God's truths for our life so that we can discern God's will and avoid the human errors that are out there. Like this one particularly, but there are a lot of them out there. People, people saying today, literally as we're sitting here, that God's okay with homosexuality. Regardless of what, and even quoting Bible verses. They're wrong. They're misquoting. They're misrepresenting. And if we don't know the truth, we can't stand for the truth. We need to do that. So that kind of answers the, the, the mistakes that were made by men. The copyist who added these jots and tittles to God's word, to Mark's ending, he failed to realize one thing, that the book was complete. The book was complete. Mark had finished his gospel. For they were afraid is exactly the way God wanted it to end. God's purpose is accomplished in this. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit why. Why did Mark end his gospel so abruptly? Maybe it wasn't abruptly. Maybe we think it was abrupt because of the way the other gospels end. We're all like, well, Mark's kind of ends abruptly if you stop at verse 8. Mark's kind of, I wonder what, what happened. Well, God finished his, Mark finished his gospel, and God finished Mark's gospel, I should say. God finished Mark's gospel the way it needed to be finished. He left us. He left us right there. And some of us think, well, I'm ha it's hanging like there's no conclusion there. No, he wanted you to think. He didn't leave us hanging. He left us thinking. Thinking about what he had shared about Jesus Christ. I want you to turn back to Mark chapter 1. You know how Mark started his gospel? Mark started his gospel with a, a clear declaration. Mark 1, 1. This is what he says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, he's the first rock gospel writer that we know of. He wrote this before Matthew, Mark, Matthew Luke, and John wrote theirs. He starts off a, a letter, a book, whatever you want to call this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, that wasn't necessarily something that was well-known or well-thought-of or well-thought-out. But Mark sets out to prove that. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Mark was writing to Roman readers in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Italy. He was writing to Roman readers to show the deity of Jesus Christ. To them. His accounts regularly points this out. 
All of the accounts that we find in the book of Mark points out the fact that Mark is trying to convey to the, to the readers that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's recap. You can flip through the Bible if you want with you, but chapter 1, Jesus casts out a demon. One of his first acts, he heals many, including a leper. Chapter 2, he heals a paralytic, a paralyzed man, to demonstrate to the Pharisees that he can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. You're right. Chapter 3, Jesus heals a withered hand. He sets apart his disciples. He sets himself against Satan, the evil adversary. Chapter 4, Jesus calms a storm on Galilee, Sea of Galilee, by a word. Just says a word. The storm stops. The disciples are scratching their, who is this? He's the son of God. Chapter 5, Jesus casts a legion of demons into swine, heals a woman by just a touch, and raises a girl from the dead. Chapter 6, Jesus feeds from nothing, really, 5,000 plus people. That's the creator coming out in him. And then in that same chapter, he walks on water. None of us can do that. He is the son of God. Chapter 7, Jesus declares all food clean. He heals a Gentile child, not a Jewish child. He steps outside the Jewish culture and heals a Gentile child with just a word. Never had to see the child. He gives hearing to a deaf man. Never has that been recorded. Chapter 8, Jesus feeds 4,000 now from nothing. 4,000 plus. He heals a blind man. There's another miracle that had never been done before. Never recorded. Gives him sight. Chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured with Moses and Elijah. He reveals his glory as the Son of God to three of his disciples. Chapter 10, Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus, a man born blind. He gives him sight. His eyes has never worked before, and he gives him sight. He's the Son of God. Chapter 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem as David's descendant, the triumphal entry, and he clears the temple, and nobody stops him. Looks like the Son of God to me. I don't know about you. Chapter 12, Jesus pronounces Israel's fate for rejecting him. He shows himself as David's son, the Messiah. Chapter 13, Jesus proclaims end of time and future, near future events that we know today have come true, some of them. Only the Son of God could do that. Chapter 14, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, and it happens. <laughs> Jesus faces betrayal, arrest, and trial with no convictions. They found nothing to convict him of. Chapter 15, Jesus is tried by Pilate. And he's declared innocent by Pilate. But still, he faced the humiliation of crucifixion. He was crucified for six hours. In darkness for three as he took on the, the judgment and wrath of God. He dies and the veil at the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. 20, 30 feet up, the veil is torn. The earth shakes. And in the midst of that, while he's dying, in the midst of that, a hardened Roman soldier looks on this, a centurion, and says, this was truly the Son of God. Mission accomplished. Mark's got what he needed. 
He is the Son of God. Mark 15, 39, truly this man is the Son of God. He didn't have any doubt. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter testified. There's no need for an epilogue. There's no need for any kind of recap at the end, any kind of summation. There's no need for that. The work was completed as God determined it would be completed. It was, as they say, the right tool for the right job. It's hard to turn a a nut on a a bolt with one of these, right? It's usually just drive it in instead of uh, screw it on. It's the right tool for the right job. Mark's gospel completed the project. Mark is the right tool for what God wanted to do. He wanted to leave everybody thinking, not hanging, thinking about Jesus, the Son of God. And, and, And it's just one more testimony to us that God always, God always accomplishes his purpose no matter what. Listen listen what Job says. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now that's coming from Job. And if you know Job's story, that's pretty pretty tough stuff. Listen to what David says. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Listen to what Solomon says. Many are the plans in the mind of a man like a copyist adding an edit to a manuscript. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It is the purpose of the Lord God, the Son of God, that will stand. And then God says this to Isaiah. Has Isaiah write it down? It's a passage we quote often. But I want you to hear kind of the context of it too. God says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, that's your example, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, Mark's gospel was not incomplete. It was complete. And Mark 16, 8 is the final verse, the final words of, that, of this gospel. It is the great testimony that leaves us with one question and one question only. What are we going to do with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Now, those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, we, we think sometimes we've answered that question. But we need to ask ourselves that question every day. What today am I going to do with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What am I going to do with Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God? I want you to look again at verse 8 and and see the words that Mark uses to describe these women who who just now found out, who discovered the resurrection. I want you to see what what he describes them. First of all, he says they were trembling, shaking, visibly and physically reacting to what the angel had told them. Kind of reminds me of what the earth did when Jesus died. It quaked because something great had happened. Astonishment. They had astonishment. It comes from the same word that we get the word ecstasy from. Bliss, rapture, elation, being delighted. Like Jairus, when his daughter was raised from the dead, he was astonished. I'm sure he was very astonished. Because he had been told she was dead. They were silent. 
They were stunned and quieted by the news to the point of just being silent, muted in a sense by the news. Like, we don't even know how to articulate this. We don't even know how to say this to people as we're going back to tell the disciples. we got to figure out, how would we tell this? And that's what happened to the Pharisees in the temple. When they asked Jesus a question and he answered them, they were silent. And they were afraid. I think they were reverent because they didn't really understand what does this actually mean. And I don't want to guess. I want to know what this means, that Jesus is risen. They were awestruck by the news. They were reverent toward the news. They were unassuming in what it meant. Sort of like that centurion that's standing there and he'd been watching the whole crucifixion. And he just blurts out. When the centurion, standing opposite him, saw him breathe his last and said, Truly, this man is the Son of God. Of God. I mean, he didn't have to say anything. He just kept that to himself. But he said it. It was heard. And it was recorded. See, these emotions and reactions Jesus has caused throughout the entire gospel. That's why this is the final verse. That's why this is the final words that we need when we read the book of Mark. And then we ask ourselves this question. When did you experience such emotions? When did you experience such reactions to the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To the truth of the resurrection. Maybe the other question is, have you experienced those emotions and reactions? Have you realized that you need Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to save your soul? You know, I know it's Christmas time, and I know you're probably like, well, why are we still talking about the resurrection? It's Christmas. Where's the manger? Where's the angels? Where's the shepherds? We'll get there, I promise. We'll get there. But let me tell you something. We got to keep some Easter in our hearts if we want Christmas to mean anything. Christmas means nothing without Easter. It really does. Jesus is the reason for the season. I agree with you. Because of Easter. Without Easter, he doesn't, it, he's just a, a person born and, and someone can make up the story about him being virgin born and all that stuff. We're going to look next week at how they couldn't have made that up. But we say, Emmanuel, God with us this time of year. That's great. That's great. We, want, we, we love the idea that Jesus came and he put on our skin and became like us except sinful, not sinful. God with us. But let me tell you something. God rising for us is much better news. Much better news. God with us doesn't do anything for us until he dies, is buried, and rises. Because we don't have salvation until that happens. A baby coming through a virgin is a great sign and could have happened anyway, but until he dies, buries, and rises, proving that the sacrifice is sufficient, we have nothing. We have nothing. Has your life been changed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if not, why not? It's right there. It's clear and, and it's perfectly contained in God's Word. And it happened so we could be forgiven. The forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. Mark told us so. So his book is complete at verse 8. So we see why the, the ending was added. We see that. We see that it was an error. It was an erroneous epilogue, as I called it. But we also see that the end was necessary for the readers that he was sending it to and for us to ask that question, what are you going to do with the Jesus, the Son of God? 
God's purpose was fulfilled. We started this book in July of 2021, so it's been about 18 months. And every message and every verse that we've covered pointed to that one truth, that Jesus is the Son of God. And by faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, we can all have our sins forgiven by a holy God. So what are we doing with Jesus' story now? It's complete. We don't need to add anything to it. We just need to tell it. We need to believe it, tell it, share it, live it. That's what we're called to do. So let's take a time of pastoral prayer where we just pray that our hearts will be forever reminded that our, our sins have been forgiven, that our lives are different, should be different, that we should be living different and showing the world how much we love Jesus Christ so they can love Jesus and find forgiveness for their sins. So let's, let's pray for that. Let's pray right now. We'll have a time of pastoral prayer. If you want to come to the front and pray, feel free to do that. And I'll close this out after time.